Lake Tahoe, the jewel of the Sierra. This deep blue alpine lake nestled in the beautiful Sierra Nevada mountains is a land of magic, wonder, and fascination. Welcome to Legends of Lake Tahoe, the podcast for those of us who always seek to know more. Hello, and welcome to episode three. Our podcast is small, but we are growing, and we want to thank all of our early listeners. We appreciate you. Joe has been busy with other projects this week, and he won't be here today. Fortunately, I have the pleasure to introduce our first guest host, Agnes Johnson, our mother and a wonderful supporter. I was planning a little Halloween-related bonus episode starring Agnes, but ran out of time. As luck would have it, here we are together for episode three. Rain is falling softly outside, and podcasting conditions are perfect. Welcome, Agnes, and thanks so much for being here in the studio. Thank you for having me, Bo. Now, without further ado, we present Legends of Lake Tahoe, episode three, Sierra Nevada Phillips. Better known as Dade. The year was 1854. California had been a state for a scant four years, and Nevada was 10 years away from statehood. Political tensions were mounting that would soon lead to civil war. U.S. expansion continued to progress at a fast pace, with the western frontier representing the leading edge of that expansion. Into these transitional and tumultuous times was born Sierra Nevada Phillips to proud parents Joseph and Mehitable Phillips. She was such a beautiful baby that her parents named her after the majestic mountain range that they could see from their back porch in Nevada City, California. Vade Phillips and her folks moved to a 160-acre homestead located near Johnson Pass Road, which is located about 12 miles south of Lake Tahoe. The Phillips property was strategically located along the Bonanza Road, a 19th century route connecting Virginia City to the West Coast, and they took full advantage by building a hotel and five barns to accommodate the increasing volume of travelers. These included cowboys guiding their herds from pasture to pasture, supply companies transporting goods, and stagecoach travelers of all sorts. They'd learned much about hospitality and also people during her childhood, which was spent in her parents' bustling roadside service station. Through the years spent cooking alongside her mother, Bade became an expert in frontier cuisine, developing culinary skills that would serve her well in the years ahead. She would eventually become a locally venerated cook, with folks around the Tahoe Basin and beyond singing her praises. Everyone knew about the generous portions and sumptuous menus, menu items found on any table in Bade's vicinity. While few details are documented regarding Vade's childhood and early youth, we can be sure she came of age living at a way station during the transitional time in our country. Pioneers were settling the West, the Civil War had transformed the way of life for millions of Americans, and our country was expanding and evolving in too many ways to count. 
Babe's formative years brought her into contact with many different types of people from various walks of life. There were numerous types of travelers, salespeople, frontiersmen and women, cattle ranchers, and cowboys, and there were many others too. Native peoples, clergymen and religious leaders, politicians, war veterans, criminals, vagabonds, and folks nobody knows about. The human tapestry surrounding Vade's youth was colorful, unpredictable, and above all, constantly changing. This provided her with a rather unique perspective at the time, one of tolerance and acceptance, hope upholding the belief that underneath it all, we have much more in common than we do in contrast. She got to know people at an early age, and Vade took those lessons to heart more than most. In 1879, Bade married a steamboat captain by the name of A.W. Clark, and they would have one daughter together, Mahitable Jane Clark, known to friends as Hetty. Bade Clark, as she was now known, purchased the Rubicon Springs in 1886 from George Hunsaker for the flashy price of $5,500, paid in gold coins, of course. George, in partnership with his brother John, had been bottling the spring water that bubbled up from its Rubicon sources and marketing it as a health supplement since 1880. The resort and spa and health-seeking industry had blossomed, and the brothers' bottling business boomed for years. As Vade took over the property with plans to develop a resort of her own, the country was smack dab in the middle of a health craze fad, the late 19th century version, that is. And I wanted to mention here that Vade kept that bottling business going when she took over and continued to sell mineral water at a, at a, at a pretty good pace, I think. <laughs> After the purchase, Vade played an unseen ace. She donned her Sunday best, plucked her lucky hat pin from its cushion, and headed for the El Dorado County seat. She met with legislators and convinced them to make a trail running over Burton's Pass into a narrow road. Once this was accomplished, Vade set in motion her grand plan, setting right to work organizing the construction of a resort at Rubicon Springs. Given the remote and still difficult to access location, Vade's ambitious undertaking was all the more impressive. She oversaw the construction of a two and a half story hotel consisting of 16 rooms, an exquisite parlor, a dining room, and adjacent campgrounds, christening everything the Rubicon Mineral Springs Hotel and Resort. The grand opening in 1891 marked a new era on the west shore of Lake Tahoe. For overland guests, getting there, as they say, was half the fun, or was it half the battle? Either way, we wanted to mention the trip that brave and impetuous travelers undertook to arrive at the Rubicon Springs, another result of Vade's entrepreneurial zest. Once the road over Burton's Pass was completed, Vade was ready for guest transport action. She outfitted a wagon with semi-comfortable seating and yoked it to a four-horse team. This vehicle, christened the Rubicon Flyer, using the term loosely or maybe sarcastically, we're guessing, <laughs> could hold six passengers, and we're guessing it was a somewhat tight squeeze in there. To know whether this was good or bad for the reportedly bone-rattling Shakefest, that was the nine-mile route from McKinney's Retreat and the Rubicon Springs Resort, we'd have to check with a passenger stepping out after the nearly three-hour journey. Watch that first ride. It's a doozy. 
Over the next 18 years, Bade would create a home away from home for adventurous yet weary travelers, maintaining an atmosphere of abundance and the best in frontier hospitality. Quoting the Saga of Lake Tahoe by E. B. Scott, by 1889, Bade Clark had established her springs as the most curative in the Sierra Nevada, with meals and accommodations the finest to be found. So, Bade is well on her way, and we're going to take our first break. We'll be back in a little bit with segment two. Hang on to that Rubicon flyer handle. Segment 2, A True Sierra Nevada Welcome. From 1889 to 1907, with the exception of a few years after marrying her second husband near the end of the century, Vade managed the resort on a seasonal basis with few interruptions, and she did so combining style and grace with a hard-working, can-do attitude. The room accommodations were modest, but also very comfortable for the turn of the century. The resort dining room was able to serve over 100 people with guests using finely polished silverware to savor steaming hot fare while seated at tables covered in gleaming white linen. This must have been a rather singular experience for folks moving about the region, or maybe any region at this time, and Bade's legend continued to grow as one of the most welcoming people in all of Lake Tahoe. And I was wondering, what do you think she might have had uh, on those tables, Agnes, what kind of food were they eating in those days? My guess would be a meat and potato dish and maybe any kind of local vegetables they could grow themselves. Yeah, that makes sense. With that bone-rattling shake-fest trip over, it would be hard to transport food, I, I would think. So maybe it would be a bit limited. It, it sounds delicious, though. She really seemed to make it work. During this time period, change, as it does, came to Bade's life as well as the property. She sold the land back to George Hunsaker in 1895 and continued to lease and run the resort property from him. Steamboat Captain A.W. Clark passed away and Bade would remarry, a man named James Bryson, in 1897. He was over 20 years her junior, and they were a good match. Bade and James would also have a daughter naming her Alice Elaine Bryson. Bade managed other properties in the early years of their marriage and returned to Rubicon Springs in 1901, again leasing the property from another new owner, Daniel Abbott. Vade would manage the resort until the 1907 season, after which she went her own way. We could not figure out why she left or determine the circumstances surrounding her departure. There is a bit of an exclamation point regarding Rubicon Springs provided by Mother Nature that occurred one day in October of the year following Bade's departure. Torrential rain and flashing floods caused the Rubicon River to rise eight feet. The fast-flowing waters, roiling with debris and detritus, 
nearly swept away numerous resort buildings and resulted in significant and expensive damage. Fortunately, Rubicon Springs would survive, bruised but not broken, and last until the late 1920s. By then, of course the Roaring Twenties were going by then, <laughs> the health craze had largely subsided and demand for resort rooms and services had declined accordingly, resulting in loss of revenue and, unfortunately, eventual closure. Time and tastes tend to have that effect on even the most robust of businesses, even back then. Getting back to Vade, in 1909, she inherited a property called the Phillips Station, which was very run down at the time. She once again set right about renovating the property. She fixed up the general store, added a cocktail lounge, and created a new campground. The nearby highway guaranteed a steady stream of passing vehicles, and once again, Vade's place was perfectly placed for these vehicles to stop, rest, and maybe stay for a while. She was the kind person to welcome them in and make them feel at home. Vade had rebuilt her hospitality hotspot down the trail a notch, and things were looking bright until disaster struck in 1911. Late one night, a fire broke out in their kitchen. Vade and her family lived above this very kitchen, and they were all lucky to make it out safe and sound. The building was not so lucky and burned to the ground. A setback, to be sure, but for a woman like Vade, she wasn't set back far. The hotel was rebuilt by the following year, and the resort was back in business full stop. For good measure, Vade was able to convince the proper officials that the area needed its own post office. And since there was already a Phillips Station post office, the new establishment would be christened Vade Post Office. In honor of our legend, Sierra Nevada, Vade Phillips Clark Bryson, a woman possessing many names and even more talents. To put a cherry on top, Vade became the station's first postmistress, where she continued to give back to the community. Yes, giving back to the community really did characterize Vade. She just, uh, she seemed to be where people needed her, and she seemed to, I don't know, figure out where needs were and meet them. Just a neat person. Vade spent the remaining 10 years of her life spending summers running Phillips Station alongside family members and likely other long-term staff. During the winter, the resort would close. Roads truly did become closed to through traffic in those days. As the first snow approached, Vade and family would decamp for Placerville, where they had their cozy winter lodgings. Once the ice and snow thawed, and the first buds of spring poked through winter's white blanket, the family would pack everything up and head back to Phillips Station, allowing plenty of time for them to prepare for the upcoming spring and summer seasons. We can imagine these years representing Vade's golden years, working and living with the family, friends, and colleagues she loved, and helping provide that love and hospitality to the guests and travelers stopping for a spell along a California highway, and in a way, along life's highway, too. Never one to shy from a challenge, Vade reportedly spent her final winter operating a boarding house in Sparks, Nevada. I think we can probably surmise that she was fixing up, renovating, and improving the property in numerous ways, because that's just who Vade was. We can also be sure that she provided the comfort and welcoming feel of home to anyone lucky enough to find themselves under her roof. Sierra Nevada Vade Phillips Clark Bryson passed away peacefully on May 21, 1921, 
after a brief illness near her home in Placerville, California. To quote Wendy Schultz's 2012 Mountain Democrat article, which was essential in the creation of this episode, the front-page obituary for Sierra Nevada Phillips Clark Bryson in the May 28, 1921 issue of the Mountain Democrat lauded her for her once open-handed hospitality and kindly influence. Fade exemplified the virtues of kindliness and welcome. She made everyone who visited her resorts feel as if they had really found a home away from home. While Vade's hospitality was legendary, her entrepreneurial spirit, combined with an incredible work ethic, made her a true force of nature. Vade had a special gift for seeing what might be, maybe even a bit beyond that, and then going about realizing her vision, and again, accomplishing a bit more. She had an innate sense of what folks needed to be comfortable and doubtless made a difference in the thousands of lives of the people she met and helped throughout the many years. Her accomplishments and success are an inspiration, especially occurring as they did in a rather unforgiving, male-dominated society and environment. But perhaps more lasting is her legacy of kindness and really love. Because if we look to the source of what Vade provided to all those stopped for a moment along life's journey, we find love, that which we all seek. Regardless of traveler or journey, looking back through time, we find Vade, welcoming all with love and providing something each person needed, but maybe didn't know they needed. Vade, you're an example to us all. That's our show for today, and thank you for listening. We appreciate the support. We'd like to thank our information sources, including Offroader.com and Alan Cray, Wendy Schultz and the Mountain Democrat, RubiconSpringsHistory.com, and The Saga of Lake Tahoe, Volume 2 by E.B. Scott. Music produced by Jeff Harvey and Julius H., Sound effects courtesy of pixabay.com. A very special thanks to Squeak Steel and her ragtime piano. We have a musical footnote today. We also included the songs Shenandoah and Jesse James. And these were songs that they might have actually heard during her life. Since Squeak Steel produces her music using turn-of-the-century pianos, it is even possible that Vade heard these songs played on the very same pianos. A long shot, yes, but fun to think about. Questions, comments, or a friendly note to say hello? Please email us anytime at legendsoflaketahoe at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back in the mountains soon. Finally, we would like to thank our guest host, Agnes Johnson. It has been a true pleasure working together. We appreciate you, and we appreciate your support. Thank you so much.